Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. Welcome, everyone. It's so good to see you. And uh, if you're joining us online, we just want to welcome you, too. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 13, John chapter 13. And as you're turning there, we're going to be doing this story of Peter. And the one thing I wanted to uh, let you know is that we're having, starting March 31st, our men's group. And we'll restart uh, its... um, uh, curriculum, the Conqueror curriculum. We first started, there was like four guys, and it's about four years ago, and it's been slowly growing. This last time we had like 24 men, and it's really awesome. It really deals with helping uh, men in that battle that men have, and we would love for you to come to that. And uh, it's just uh, been really rewarding uh, to see God working in the lives of uh, the men here at the church. Uh, So if you would look at uh, John chapter 13, uh, we're going to be looking at this story of Peter. Just want to let you know that, you know, kind of like the the lesson is failure doesn't have to be final. And uh, we looked at the story of Judas last week. And in this chapter, there's um, uh, the uh, Judas is in there and and he is the he's the betrayer and he uh, falls away, goes out in the night and hangs himself. Well, Peter Uh, the story Jesus is going to tell him, you're going to deny me three times. So uh, let me read this to you, and then I'll give you kind of the story of Peter, kind of a thumbnail sketch of Peter. I'm going to read one line from verse 33 and then 36 and 38. So I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I don't know if you realize, you know, how devastating uh, that would be to be told that. Because Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they're really concerned about Jesus is going to leave. Where are you going? And we want to be with you. Because they spent the last three years of their life following him. And all of a sudden now they're not going to be with him. And so um, this is just kind of devastating. So I want to talk about, you know, Jesus giving this uh, prediction and then talk about him uh, denying Christ three times. But before I do, I want to talk about Peter and give you the story uh, of Peter, just kind of a thumbnail sketch. And we have this app that you can look at. So when I call out the numbers, you know, you can follow along with the app. So number one, the thumbnail sketch of Peter. Uh, Peter's call, he was called as one of the disciples, one of the apostles in Mark 1. So it says, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, and they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now there's a deeper story to that, but when he gives them the call, they follow immediately, and they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter's uh, like real name is Simon, and then his second name, the name that we know him as by Peter, is the nickname that, that Jesus gives. Now the other thing that Peter was, uh, in my mind, is he was... Uh, 
He was a leader. Uh, he's the number one disciple. He was a fisherman. He was a man's man. He was courageous. Uh, you know, he is just you know, such a big character. You know, he's the kind of person that when they walk into the room, they fill up the room. You just had to like Peter. And there's this one scene where he walks on water in Matthew 14. Um, I'm going to read that version. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then watch this. Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. I just think that is so brave and amazing, and I'm sure all the other disciples were watching this ghost, and they were terrified, and they're, and they're seeing him, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's I, and he's walking on the water, which just miraculously, and, and then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, come, you know, well, what if it was a ghost? Come, you know, and to me, it's just like the most foolish things you could do, but it's just amazing that he does that, so uh, Jesus says, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? But I still, the takeaway for me is he was not afraid and he went out, you know. Then he got afraid, but there's just something wonderful about this man uh, Jesus' name, uh, Jesus gives him uh, the name uh, Peter, and he, it means uh, rock. And so there's this wonderful uh, uh, Matthew 16 that tells the story. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the reply, they say, John the Baptist, others said Elijah, so others said Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So there's this amazing thing where Peter is given the keys of the kingdom and he's, you know, this, this rock. And I know um, the interpretation I, I kind of lean to is that he's really saying, you are my little rock and on this rock, and I think he's referring to himself, the big rock, I'm going to build my church. But you're my little rock, you know. And so he nicknames him, he nicknames him and in our terminology it would really be rocky. You know, so I, I like that idea that this guy is, is rocky. In that same chapter, there's a couple places uh, that give stories about Peter that kind of show his bluster. Other people would say putting his foot in his mouth. He had a tendency to kind of um, uh, speak. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an outward processor. You know, some people are inward processors. I'm an outward processor. So I, I just start talking and then I finally come to the conclusion of what I'm doing, where I'm going, you know, and then I get there. And I think out loud, you know, I don't necessarily think about it. So I think he was like an outward processor and he would just say things. And some of them are, are kind of funny, but some of them are kind of rude. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, rebuke the Lord Jesus Christ. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then another time, uh, there was this uh, story of the transfiguration. 
which literally that word is uh, metamorphosis, where we get the metamorphosis like a, a caterpillar to a butterfly. And Jesus takes uh, three of his disciples up on this mountain of transfiguration, and he transfigures before them. He begins to show his glory. And uh, Peter and James and John were with him. And as they were praying, the appearance of Jesus' face changed. And his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. And I just laugh every time I see that statement. Master, it is good for us to be here because uh, pastors, you know, and I'm included, have a tendency to say religious things that don't really make any sense. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. We just kind of will say something. And, and this idea, Master, it is good for us to be here. Uh, uh, yeah, how about that? You know, why aren't you just listening and watching and, and, and worshiping? Why are you saying, Master, it's good for us to be here? And then he says, let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then the, the commentary on that is he did not know what he was saying. Uh, I think that is one of the funniest things, you know. Uh, every so often I'll say something and he, Elaine will look at me and say, do you know what you're saying? And it's just so funny to see this. And he would do this bluster. So number two, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. So Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. That word disown as the, I means to deny, to disown, to repudiate. And it is a terrible thing, and Peter has a major fail. Matthew 26 uh, has some of the things that Peter says in the same, um, and when we compare the accounts, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. One of the things you've got to be really, really careful is don't use the word never. Don't use the word never. If you can keep from it, I will never do that or I will never do that. Just be really careful. And the other one I always do is be careful not to promise. I, I don't think I made two promises to my kids. I, I made a promise to Elaine and, and I have been faithful to that, but promises are really hard to keep, and it's so easy to break your promise. So if you never promise, you never break a promise, right? And you let your yes be yes and your no be no, and, and Peter is just uh, over-speaking when he says this because Jesus says, you're going to deny me, and I will never do that. And then Luke 22, uh, 31 33 kind of gives us a little more insight to this. Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, he doesn't use his Peter, Peter name, he uses his old name, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now, let me just stop there for a second, just tell you, and they wish to sift wheat, 
they, they would take it and it would be mixed with the chaff of the plant and they would throw it up in the air and they'd make it so that there was a breeze that would blow the chaff and then they'd have the wheat and they'd catch it or they'd have a, a, a cloth and that would catch it. And here's the idea that Satan has asked permission to sift him and that God is going to give permission for Satan to do that. And in both stories, the story that I told last week on Judas, Judas, uh, Satan uh, possesses him and fills him and goes into him. And here, uh, Satan is in this story too. He asks permission to sift him like wheat. And he says, but I have prayed that your faith won't fail. And the two biggest differences for me between Judas and Peter, Judas does not have faith in Christ. And he goes out and hangs himself. Peter has faith in Christ. He blows it. He fails but he goes out in the night and weeps and cries, but he doesn't hang himself. And this is really important. And then he says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and to death. I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to stick with you. I will not do it. So now let me tell you about the denial. And this is like, uh, this just hurts so bad because I just love Peter. I love his strength. I love his leadership. I love even his blustering ways. So here's the first one. This is from John 18. Uh, number three, Peter's denial. And, and John is, um, Peter is approached by this, um, this servant girl. And she says, you, you aren't one of these man's disciples too, are you? She asked. And Peter he replied, I am not. Luke twenty-two fifty-seven says, woman, I don't know him. So he disowns him. He denies him. And the second one is, again, John 18, 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. And then Matthew twenty-six seventy-four says, Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. So he's even swearing and cursing, you know, saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. And then the third uh, denial I'm going to use from Luke 22. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. We know from the different versions that he was in a courtyard that was an inner courtyard and probably Jesus was being transferred from one to the other or he could see in where they were holding a court on Jesus. And when he denied him a third time, Jesus turns and looks at him and looks him in the eye, looks straight at Peter. And it says, then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And I don't know what kind of look Jesus gave, but I think it was one of those penetrating that went into his eyes and into his brain and down into his heart and said, buddy, you failed me. At the same time, I think Jesus is so merciful and he's such a wonderful savior. There would still be that look of, hey, I love you. I don't know how you do that. I do not know how you give both those looks. But I just think Jesus gave the look and Peter was cut to the quick. And it says in verse 62, he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't know if you've ever failed and wept bitterly, but this is what is happening to Peter. And then Mark 14, 72 says, he broke down and wept. 
I don't know if you've ever broke down and wept, uh, but it's, oh, it's awful. I think the last time I broke down and wept and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed uh, was a few years ago when we lost a dog. Isn't that dumb? Uh, I, I had this little dog, and name was Maggie, and she was getting blind. She was getting old, and we went out to their place in Westport, and, and I was bringing in stuff from the car, and she got out, ran out of the car, and I heard this, and then she was dead. And I called up my wife, and as I was telling her what had happened, I just started sobbing. I mean, I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And, you know, Elaine says, it's okay, it's okay. And I said, no, it's not, it's my fault. And I just like, oh, I was so upset, you know. And he, she goes, you know, you're, you're crying more than you do for people at church that pass away. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it's terrible, you know. Uh, and some of you are going, oh, I'm shocked. But I tell you, that little dog just made me break inside. And that's nothing compared to failing. I don't know if you've ever failed, absolutely failed, but I, I want to talk to you. Number four, when you fail, fall down, or fall away, especially with God. When you fail and fall down or fall away, especially with God. And if you have been raised in a Christian home, and if you've ever done anything that, you know, like your parents didn't raise you to do, and you felt like you disrespected yourself or you did something, oh my goodness, you know, many times people just kind of fall away from God or they go off to college and they fall away from God or they uh, do something and they just totally fall away and they feel like God will never take them back. And I want you to know that failure doesn't have to be final because Peter's life, he gets restored but before I get there, let me just talk about the emotions that you feel when you fail. How many of you um, know about the emotions that you feel when you fail? Okay, there's like seven people that have failed. The rest of you have never failed. That's awesome. So the emotions are many times just embarrassment. You know, just embarrassment. Like, how could I have been so stupid? And then many times, you know, if it's a little more serious than that, you just there's regret. Um, sometimes there's grief. Sometimes there's anger. Sometimes there's sadness sorrow. Sometimes when we fall away from God or we do things that we never thought we would do, uh, there's shame and many times there's fear. And uh, I don't know if this is the emotions, but there's an emotional turbulence. When you fail, there's an emotional turbulence and you just, you, you can't find a, a resolution of why you would do that or how you would do that. And you play it over in your head. And then sometimes people get really depressed the things that they've done and the things that have happened that just is a big failure in their life. They just, they just get depressed. And the response is to run away or to hide or sometimes angry outbursts or tears, weeping, a desire to escape, avoidance. And there can many times be a social or an emotional withdrawal and, again, uh, depression. There's just this response. Uh, when I was growing up, I remember the first D that I ever got. I got transferred. I think I went to four elementary schools and three junior hires. 
And so uh, it was a lot of moving around. And uh, I was at this LA City Elementary School. It's fifth grade. I was left-handed. And so if you know anything about left-handers, most of them you know, write like this. If you can see me doing that, they don't write like this, like perfect like right-handers can, because right-handers are going along, and they're not smearing the ink. But if you're a left-hander, you begin to smear the ink, so you learn to put your hand like this. And my teacher you know, was going to break me of that habit and go like this, so she gave me a D. And my dad, now I grew up in the 60s, so I know this is kind of shocking for some of you people that you know, just think, well, that's child abuse. But we would get spankings. And I was told, you're going to get a spanking if you ever get a D. And I, I just had this fear and this dread and the terror. And then I, you know, showed the D to my mom. And she just shook her head, a D in handwriting. And my mom had the most beautiful handwriting. She'd write me letters when I go to camp. I still have some of her letters. She has the most beautiful handwriting. And she has a son, you know, that writes like an absolute pig. You know, he just is horrible. And so then when my dad came home, I had this trepidation, you know, and I showed him, you know, what followed was worse than my dread or my trepidation. It was so bad, and I just, well, I just, I, I just seethed inside against that teacher, you know. I just really, really disliked that teacher. And then I went to school, and and she said to me, George, did you show your dad, you know, your mom and dad, your D? And I said, yes, and I called her a terrible name. And it, well, it's not what you think, but I called her a name. And I ended up getting another spanking, you know. It was terrible. And I learned to hate failure. And I want you to know that I struggled as a student. And a lot of people say, you're a pastor. You can't tell people about these terrible struggles. But I want you to know that I struggled in high school, and I got a couple of Fs. And one of the things you had to have was a C average to play football and to date Elaine. So I would get A's. I would get A's in English, and I get A's in history, and, and all the stuff that I love that because I loved reading. But the stuff like science and math, you know, I just go D's and F's and you know do-overs and incompletes, and oh, it was so bad. But I would get it, so it was you know 2.0. And I think I'm the only person that will admit to graduating from high school with absolutely a 2.0. That's hard to do, but I did. <laughs> And it was amazing. And then, you know, when I went to seminary, the first semester I was on academic probation because I just, I'm not a good student. You know, I love to read. And, and God has used that failure in my life. But I've got to the place, you know, that like college, I, I crammed four years of college into eight and I got through. And it is... It is just when I went home, when I have F's or when I had failure, I just had this dread, this terror. And I want you to know that I'm not preaching at anyone about failure, that you need to not fail or whatever. What I'm really saying is that people fail. And what do you do when you fail and you fall down and you fall away? What do you do? And then one more thing. There's this special case of people who have internal feelings all the time that they are a failure or that they're a fraud or that they're a fake. Even successful ones. If they've been damaged when they were kids or something happened when they were teens or something, you know, happened to them and they walk around and they may be really successful. They may could even have lots of money, but inside they feel like failure. And I want you to know that that 
fail, a fear word that's used in the New Testament is where we get the word phobia. And it's the idea of the dread, the terror, and the anxiety and the distress that you are going to be found out. Someday people are going to know who you really are. And many times people hide behind that. And all kinds of things happen to them because of this horrible fear of failure. And I know what that feels like. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote? I know some of you are smart aleck. You say, well, don't fail, okay? Uh, that's sort of like try harder. And I want you to know that failure doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be final. And we can learn from failure. But here's the antidote. What to do when you fail, this is number five, what to do when you fail, fall down, or fall away, especially from God. How do you return to God? So number one is you feel the pain. You feel the pain. You don't medicate it. Our culture wants to medicate the pain. The alcohol, drugs, illicit sex, uh, oversleeping, uh, too much uh, media, all kinds of things to, to, to kill the pain. But the real way is to actually face the pain. And Peter, he faces the pain. He goes out in the night and he weeps bitterly and he sobs and he's broken. He, he's broken for what he's done and his failure. And number two, you accept the responsibility. You know, that teacher was trying to help me. You know, I, I disliked her for years and years and years. You know, I really, I still remember her name. Oh my goodness, I remember her name. But, you know, I had a way better teacher in third grade, and I just thought all teachers were like Miss Moore in third grade, and then I found out, you know, I won't even say her name, Miss Moore. And, you know, so anyway, she uh, was trying her best when I look back as an adult. But I, my childlike response, you know, was to blame her. But really, I could have learned to handwrite a little bit better and maybe gotten a C-. minus. So accept the responsibility and then ask forgiveness. When you fail and you fall down, you fall away, you know, ask forgiveness. Tell someone, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And even if they don't, you've, you've left it on their doorstep. You've asked for forgiveness. And especially when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when we fail with sin and we go to him and say, forgive us, because he loves to forgive his children. Number four, receive God's grace. You've got to take that gift of grace and receive it. And uh, I want you to know that's one of the most important things. And the way you do that is to be reconciled with him. We're, we're going to build a bridge here for Easter. Have I told you guys? How many know that we're going to build a bridge for Easter? Okay, I say this every week, right? So we're going to build a bridge. And I'm going to actually tell the story of when Jesus totally reconciles with Peter. I mean, it's the most wonderful story and it's just amazing, so I'm not going to tell it tonight, but we'll tell that at Easter. And it's the resurrected Christ, and there's this restoration. And we want people that, you know, have this, you know, people that feel like they failed and they've fallen away, and, and they, or people that don't even know Christ, to walk across that bridge because Jesus is the bridge. So be reconciled to God. And then number six, this is a really important one, get back up and get going. Get back up and get going. I remember Elaine, you know, she helped me get through uh, college. She was the best college roommate I ever had. 
You know, I could not. If we hadn't gotten married, I never would have graduated. She was so helpful, and she was so positive, and she was the one. You got to get up. Got to keep going. You know, you'll get it done. You'll do it. So get back up and get going. When you think about it, a toddler, a toddler learning to walk. I don't know if you've seen them walk. You know how they kind of walk like this, and then you just think they're going to go off the curb. You know, they're just walking. You know, they can barely walk. And they fall down all the time. Maybe that's why God doesn't let us have the memory of when we were toddlers. You know, I can't remember that period of learning how to walk. It's because we fall down so much, but you just get back up. And if you can think of your life as an adult, that every time you fail or fall down or fall away, that you get back up and get going. And then number seven, I love this one. God never wastes a fail. He never wastes a fail. I get to tell that story about that fifth grade teacher. He never wastes. And you guys were laughing and you guys, you were recognizing some of the truth in that. But there's something about a fail. Even if it's way deeper than just not handwriting very good. I know people that have gone through divorce and they feel like failures. And especially if they grew up as Christians, they feel like failures so much. And many times there's people that are walking around and they just feel like a failure all the time. But I want you to know that if you're willing to share that, God never wastes a fail. And you'll be able to help a fellow journey. Someone else who's on their spiritual journey, you will help them. You've had a tough marriage You've had a tough marriage and you go through 10, 15, 20 years of trying to keep it together and be with that person. And then finally you get through the other side and you're getting along with them and you actually like them and you fall back in love with them or whatever your story is. I want you to know that God can use that to help some young couple that are going through similar like things. If you failed in business... You, we, the 2008, 2009, when people were losing their, their homes and their business. I know businessmen that were the best businessmen and they thought they were really good and they, they, the circumstances made them lose everything. And many of them came back even stronger. And that's a story they can, they can share. And many times the story, the fails, is God's mercy and the grit he gives us the grit that he gives you to get back and get going. Boy, I could preach about this a long time, couldn't I? I have so many stories of places where I failed. You know, it's not even the half of them. So anyway, let me bring it to a closure. Failure doesn't have to be final. Let me say it again. Failure does not have to be final. Many times a fail is absolutely the beginning of the story the beginning of an opportunity. And Peter, you know, ends up at Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ and are baptized. That we can be changed. And I got to tell you, this story, I have been thinking about my childhood, uh, telling these stories. I've been thinking about my childhood because when I was in... uh, Sixth or seventh grade, I heard this great preacher. And I don't know if that motivated me to want to be a preacher, but this we had a summer series. Our pastor, when he would go on vacation, he'd take a whole month in August, and he'd try to line up the best preachers he could. And there was a couple preachers uh, from um, something called Torchbearers. 
Uh, and the number one school at the time was uh, Cape and Ray. It's where it started, Cape and Ray, England. And there was two great pe preachers, John Hunter and Stuart Briscoe, that would come to our church, and at least when I was sixth grade or seventh grade. It was in August. And I keep thinking it was Stuart Briscoe, but it could have been John Hunter. But anyway, it was an introduction to the torchbearers. I sent all my kids to the torchbearer schools. Uh, they all went to Cape and Ray, except for Evan. He went to Sweden and, and to Greece, uh, torchbearer schools. But the sermon that Stuart preached was something like Simon Jellyfish, Peter Rock. And I can't remember a whole lot, but I just remember sixth grade, I still remember that sermon, him talking about every one of these little stories. He was saying Peter was this jellyfish. That when it comes to the Pentecost, he becomes this rock. And even if you have failure, you've gone through failure, you're walking around feeling like a failure, I want you to know that Jesus can take all that and make a rock out of you. Amen? Stand with me and I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, just thank you for each person. You know each person's heart. We don't. Holy Spirit, you know what we go through. Each person has stories of how you shaped them. Please use, use in our lives uh, to make us stronger, to make us more faithful, to guide us and direct us. Help us. Help us to use those um, times where we fail to look to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a, a whole congregation full of people that have wonderful stories where you've rescued us and delivered us and turned us from jellyfish to stones. In Jesus' precious name, amen.